Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, you've revealed to us your grace and mercy in your Son, Jesus, who is the light of the world. You sent John the Baptist to be uh, the forerunner, the one who would point the way to Christ and tell us who he is and what he uh, will and has done for us. We ask that uh, you would reveal this to us as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Good. So last week uh, we did verses 1 to 5. This is part of what's often called the prologue. Actually, we didn't talk about this, but the word prologue has right in the middle, actually... The beginning word, the first word. Yeah, it's first word, but logos is right in prologue, right? So pro meaning the word, the first word or the word from. Pro can be, pros can be from in Greek. So it's, it's the words from God, right? And they, but these are, hmm, well, let's read one to five again, and then we'll go from there. Uh, in the beginning, in the RK, was the word, and the word was uh, with God or, from, or turned towards God, and uh, the word was God. And we talked about was being, is and was and always will be. <laughs> it's uh, imperfect tense, so it's not... Um, but, but is and continues to be, I should say. Not and will be. Uh, let's see. And then a kind of a repetition. This one was in the beginning uh, with or from God. Okay? All things uh, through, were made through him. Uh, again, were, that's imperfect. So, and uh, it's not, I think we talked about this too. The beginning, God, the word is God or well, continues to be God. That's that's a verb of being. Whereas now uh, we're talking about in verse three being made. Now we're talking about the beginning of creation, right? So verse one and two are this eternal reality of God, and now in three we're coming into time, right? Um, so all things were made or uh, created through Him, um, and. Uh, what, how does that go? Without him, nothing was made that is made. <laughs> it's hard even in Greek. You look at it in Greek. Like, how do you figure that, all those words out? Yeah, but without him. Um, in him was life. So was and continues to be life. Uh, and he was the light of men, uh, which, comes, <laughs> which becomes very important as we're moving forward. Uh, so now we have the connection of the eternal, eternal God connected to anthropos, like anthropological is the study of what is on, on, anthrop, anth, anthropologists study what mankind. Mankind, yeah, yeah. It comes from the Greek word anthropos. So, so we go from God to man, um, but but He's revealing Himself to man, or He is the light of man. Verse five. Um, and the light shines um, like epiphanies in the darkness or on the darkness, and the darkness cannot did not receive it. And we talked quite a bit about this. You can read some notes uh, last week's lesson about does the darkness receive or can it not? What else did I say? Cannot comprehend. In some way, it's translated. What did I actually suggest? No, my memory's not so good. Oh, the darkness is not able to put it out. Right? So you have, I mean, you know this, light and darkness cannot 
It's like oil and water normally, right? Without an emulsifying agent. I think I used the picture, right? Can, can there be darkness where there's light? No, right? And where there's darkness, there is no light. Uh, but here, the light, the darkness cannot comprehend it and cannot overcome it either. That's the other aspect of light, right? It always banishes darkness, without exception. Is there a darkness that can overcome light? I guess if it's like a black hole, right? You know about that? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, because it, because uh, light has particle motion, <laughs> so it actually draws all light into itself. It's it's sucking. It's not only part. How, how is it pulling? Light? That's some kind of crazy crazy gravitational field to be able to 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 draw light. Um, the heart of darkness, right? I guess it's true though that sometimes. There is a darkness that seems to try to put out the light, right? That seems to over, overwhelm, right? Um, mental illness can be that way. It's like a darkness that's... They, they had a light and now they, it seems to have gone out. We use those expressions. Uh, but this light, the light um, who is the word, cannot be overcome or comprehended by the darkness. All right. And, and I, then every time I've read what we're going to look at today, at least 6 through 13. We can go farther if we, need, if we have time. Uh, that's what I've prepared for you. Every time I look at this, I feel like, oh, now we got a little side note, a little tangent. I, I think that's how I read it in church when we would read this on uh, Christmas Day. I just think, okay, we got all this eternal, begotten, um, light, God and word, and, and it's this poetic and majestic thing. Maybe I'll just read what I wrote. Uh, in the introduction. Is this section a break from the action, an interlude, meaning verses 6 through 13? Or is it a continuation and an intentional contrast with 1 to 5? So as I was studying it, I, I think actually that's, it's more of a, it's intentionally continuing, but it's contrasting with what we just read. Yes, it's less poetic and elegant, but as we, and as we discussed last week, Verse 1 to 5, which, which we just read, the prologue describes the Logos, who was and is and continues to be eternally. The Logos is with and, or turned towards God. The Logos is the true light. Logos meaning word, Jesus. And the Logos was God. Now, in contrast, we're going to see that John, the man, appeared from God. He's not with God, but he's from God and was not the light. So you see how John's set up as a contrast to who we were just, well, who, <laughs> he who we were just talking about, which I think, um, yeah, it was John last week, um, Tar, who said that, noted that verse four, was that right? Well, we were talking about how there's that personal pronoun, in him was life, right? And without him in verse three. So that verse three and four are a little different than one and two, and that he's given this third person singular pronoun, right? A person. So the person of Jesus, the person of the Word, now is going to be in contrast to the person of John the Baptist. All right, uh, who would like to read? Gabriel's going to read six to thirteen for me, if you would. Mm-hmm. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which enlightens everyone was coming into the world. 
He was in the world, and the word world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. All right, good. So we have a man now. Remember, the light has been sent to men, the light of men. Now we, we move into a man uh, who, again, was sent. Uh, that word is very important. Oh, maybe less so, actually, in, in John's gospel, but it's a big word in, in uh, the synoptics. To, to be sent is to be apostled, right? We know that word. Um, his apostles are his sent ones, his messengers. And who become his messengers in you know, by the end of the gospel. They, their name, they, their title kind of changes, right? Because their well, name doesn't change, but they take on a new title. They were disciples, right? And to be a disciple, we are disciplined in there. It means to follow, obey, go after, be with, walk along the way, the light, the truth. Yeah, Jesus. They're his disciples. They follow after him. But then, as he ascends into heaven, then we're... They're not turned away from him, but they're turned, we would say, turned with him towards their neighbor, right? They're sent forth, bearing Christ for their neighbor and love for their neighbor. Um, and as he promises, I will be with you until the end of the ages. That's the end of Matthew, right? So it's not like they're going out away from Jesus. He ascends to have another going away from him. Um, no, they're actually going forth uh, with him into creation. If that makes sense. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right. So here, John is the apostle right away in the beginning of chapter one. You see this. Uh, he was sent, and again, sent from God, just like they, the disciples will be sent from God. But um, John, in the way of an Old Testament prophet, right? And so there's a lot of emphasis made, maybe less so in John's gospel here, but in others with, with his appearance, right? So he has the, the camel hair, and the, which reminds us of who? Isaiah. Uh-huh. And what about, what about the locusts and wild honey? Was it? Yeah, he also uh, he doesn't. He's a Nazarite, so he doesn't cut his hair. So he's like Samson. I mean, you've got you've got these Old Testament figures that are assumed into John, who is a prophetic man sent from God to speak God's word, uh, whether they like it or don't like it, right? And so it appears. Uh, oh, by the way, his name <laughs> is John. <laughs> Does that seem a little like odd that you would say his name was John? You remember. Um, remember the birth story of John. What was, what was the whole issue with John and his birth? <laughs> well, one that he was conceived in uh, out out of conception age or ability, right? And because of that, his parents doubted. And go keep on. You were gonna say. John. Yeah, but the remember he couldn't speak. Right? His father, his father, his father yeah, he, he didn't believe, and so then um, his mouth was shut, and then 
But the angel said to call his name John, right? Yeah. And so then uh, he writes it on the tablet, <laughs> even though he can't speak, and, uh, or on whatever device he wrote it on. And they're like, John, that's not one of our family. That's not a family name. Um, and then Elizabeth agrees, right? Yeah, no, that's his name. <laughs> um, she knew the message of the angel too. Um, and then his name was John. So his name is important. And name actually is really important in John's gospel, John, the evangelist's gospel. Um, but not in that sense. It, it, well, maybe actually a little bit in that sense. Because the name that you bear as, well, is Christian, right? And then um, you bear the name of Jesus. Uh, and actually in baptism, you have that name put upon you, your forehead and your heart. It's a name that doesn't belong to your, to your family, to your lineage, right? But it's given to you. Um, and actually your family or your lineage by birth doesn't really matter. Um, that all um, are, are given that birth, new birth, that washing of rebirth, um, as it's called, by God and given his name. Um, so that, like St. Paul will say, there's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, man, male nor female. Um, but that in baptism, we are all given to be sons of God, which I was going to talk about next week. But we might get to that again today. Following so far? So his name was John. That's important because name's going to be a big deal in John's gospel. So I, that's why I'm saying that it's not just like there was a man, John, sent from God. But it's there was a man sent from God whose name, name is very important, name was John. This man, uh, verse 7 Welcome, John. We were just talking about John. And here's John. There's lots of Johns here today. We've got John the Baptist. We've got John the Evangelist. Here, why don't you put the sheets back where latecomers can get them? All right. Um, where were we? Da, 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 da. Oh, yes. This one. Now, that should remind us. Uh, you can't see this in English, but it's in Greek. Um, where, it says, you know, where it says, this man. It's actually just a... Um, um, what do they call that? Uh, it's a... It's a it's kind of a pronoun. Uh, this one, or this man, because back in, um, there was a hutos, where was that back in verse 2? This one was in the beginning with God. Now in yours it just says he, <laughs> right? He was in the beginning with God, and here it just says this man, but that it's the same thing. So we're putting the two side by side. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was God. This uh, this one was in the beginning with God. Now here we have this, this man was sent from God. His name was John. This one came, and the word there is martyria, right? Is to, to, from which we get martyrs. Martyrs are not just people who die for the faith, but they die because they bear witness to the faith, right? I mean, you're not going to die for your Christian faith unless, What? Not if somebody suspects you of being a Christian. Well, if they, even if they suspect you of being a Christian and, and there's a death you know, warrant or something out for Christians, they're only going to kill you if, they, if you have witness. If you've witnessed to that, right? In some way, you've attended church, you've said it, you wrote an editorial on the paper, I don't know. Or, or somebody heard you say, right? So martyrs die because of uh, what they have said or what they've done, which is an expression of what, they've, what they believe. Right, so uh, I don't know. Uh, what's I think? Did we talk about life of the martyrs? Was it life of the martyrs, or what's the the voice ministry? Of the voice of the martyrs. <laughs> yeah, giving voice to martyrs I mean, is important because they've borne witness to the faith, and we want to hear their witness. Um, 
was it last? It was just last week, I think. Two hundred in in Nigeria, in in church Christians, you know, killed. Not in mainstream press. We don't talk about it. It's like two hundred people die, and no, if if kids get shot at a school and there's like you know four injured or or five dead or something like that, it's worldwide press. Two hundred get shot up at church. No, doesn't even go in this in the newspaper, which actually connects well to what we're talking, what we're going to talk about here. <laughs> Uh, in verses 9 to 11, when it comes to the world and how the world does not receive the light, you see, and is opposed to the light, actually. All right, so he came for a witness, to bear witness, to testify, we might say, to bear witness to the light, which is, whose name is? Jesus, right? So that's who he's going to bear witness to. Um, And in order that all would believe through him. Ah, mm, I don't actually read anything on that. Who's the through him referring to? Through John or through the light? Do you understand my question? This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through the light might believe or all through John the Baptist might believe. Which is it? We have the, the version called his word. The word. Uh-huh. It says, uh, <clears throat> verse 7, that they would become believers through his message. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's, that's actually helpful because um, it's actually, I do this, um, as my Japanese professor at seminary said, you ask wrong question. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the, it, it, it's a false question. He, yes. They, they come to believe through the light because light, and I think I even said this here in uh, verse 9. Oh yeah, we're going to talk about it in a minute. But light and faith go together. But, but there's instrumentality as well. All right? um, John doesn't convert people. He doesn't, um, he doesn't make them to believe. He doesn't... But, but he is God's instrument. God uses him then to lead people to the light. <laughs> It's the Holy Spirit who gives faith, who gives trust. Okay, so, uh, but but John is instrumental in that, in, in that the Holy Spirit uses him, right? You see this even, you know, go. Jesus tells John's disciples, "Go tell him what you have seen and heard that the deaf receive their sight, and the and the deaf receives their hearing, and the sight blind receive their sight." And you know, go. There's this testimony back and forth, um, and it happens through John and through his disciples. So. John is an instrument. I mean, pastors are the same way. We talked about kind of the language of what shepherd, under shepherd. I think we use that. And I said I preferred sheepdog over under shepherd. Because shepherd seems to, I'd rather be the little dog, the little, that the shepherd just makes the sound. The sheep does what the shepherd said to do. Right? Um, let's see. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Uh, we talked about in our introduction all two weeks of it about how this, I would suggest this is a gospel being written to a Jewish context. And the thing that we see, a Jew, I should say, say that again, a Jewish context that does not receive Christ, has not received him. All right. So John to fellow Jews, synagogue people who have not received Christ. Either they have not known of him or, or they've uh, refused to believe. And so he's giving a testimony. The evangelist John is giving a testimony 
to who Christ is and what he has done and how Christ is the fulfillment of all the messianic hopes of their people. Okay? Which helps here in particular because there's this apologetic, this defense. John was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. John, unlike Jesus, was universally well-received. Except for when he said, you brood of vipers. <laughs> Later on. Uh, almost universally. But, I mean, what are the Pharisees, uh, what are they so upset about with John? What's their beef with John? Why do they try to enlist John as one of their own? Because of the, the people that yeah. were interested. Yeah, how many, yeah, how popular was he? Pretty popular. <laughs> What's it say? Do you remember? You have to pay attention as we as we hear it here coming up. I think you know all the region surrounding Jerusalem, around in the Jordan. That whole val- everybody was going out to him to be baptized by him and to hear his preaching too. Um, <laughs> so either you have to kill him, which actually Herod ends up killing him, or you have to try to enlist him for your cause, right? Because he's just too popular. So let's see if we can get him to play on our team. Right? But he is really well received by the people. Whereas Jesus, I mean, yeah, we're going to see like Sermon on the Mount, 5,000 men. We're going to hear that today in church. I mean, it's true Jesus is well received. But not by, not by the Jewish people. But by when he's in Galilee. When he's in Tyre and Sidon. When he's in the Decapolis. This is what John's really concerned. He shows how Jesus is well received by people who ought not receive him, Canaanite woman or Syrophoenician or whoever it is, or the woman caught in adultery. You know, these are, that's John's emphasis is not that the Jews receive him, but that they re- reject him, even though he is the fulfillment of everything they've hoped for. Does that follow? So, so this is why there's this little contrast here in verse 8 where John is not, is not the Christ. He's not the, the light bearer. Uh, but he was sent to bear witness about the light. Uh, back, back of verse, though. Well, we'll talk about that here in a minute. Uh, let's see what else. John, I said, if you look at the notes I gave you, he's not only not only is John inferior to Jesus, which we just talked about, but also uh, Jacob is inferior to Jesus, which we see in John four twelve to fourteen. You can look at that. Uh, Moses is not the Christ. He is. He bears witness to the light as well. Abraham, you know, you're not children of Abraham. Abraham uh, longed to see my day. And then they pick up stones to kill him again. (laughs) All right. Uh, And then actually the Old Testament scriptures are inferior to Jesus too. They bear witness to Jesus. Which is a problem for some um, because, or in some contexts, because we talk about like, well, I think we talked about Leviticus. Oh, well, you know, that Leviticus says that, you know, obviously no homosexual sex, but also um, no shellfish. And, you know, you can't eat animals that have cloven hooves or, or that don't have cloven hooves. I don't remember which way it is. Right? I mean, there's all these instructions. He's like, Jesus' own speaking about the, his relationship to the Old Testament is that he uh, assumes the Old Testament into himself. He also fulfills it, right? So there, there are institutional mandates from the Old Testament that have, that have ceased. And we especially see this play out um, in, say, James and Galatians and the book of Acts um, in regards to circumcision, right? And this, you know, there are, uh, they're actually Christians. They're part of what's called the Jewish Roots Movement. Have you ever heard this? <clears throat> Jewish Roots Movement? Okay. It's a problem knowing a few things. 
you know, a few too many things. Uh, Jewish roots movements say that we have the New Testament stuff, but we have to also keep the Old Testament stuff at the same time, right? So we have baptism, which according to Galatians actually is, is the circumcision of, you know, of the spirit, which is actually greater than the circumcision of the flesh in the Old Testament. Uh, it has been uh, refused, but yet we still have people saying, you know, in order to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, for example. And you have to keep the Passover feast. You're like, no, Christ is our Passover lamb. You've missed the whole story here. Um, I, I might be opening a can of worms here because I know it's in your past, um, but Christians don't keep the Passover meal in any form, whether it's trying to recreate the one that was in Egypt or create the later Jewish thing that doesn't actually bear any resemblance to the thing in Egypt called the Seder meal. Um, Christians don't do that. Uh, some Christians do. <laughs> but the Seder meal isn't even testified until the 10th century again. So it's very, very late. It's way after the time of Christ. And uh, you might learn a thing or two from it, I suppose. But it's not, but it's not the meal that Jesus had on the night he was betrayed. Sorry. Because uh, I know it was done here too, I think. Probably everybody did it. It was kind of a thing that went around in the 80s. Uh, and, and so we do want to learn about the Jewish feasts and festivals and the practices because, um, because of how they illuminate Christ. But they are inferior to him and what he has instituted for us. Does that follow? All right. Uh, and John is a messenger then who must give way to Jesus. See John 3, 22 to 30. I mean, I'm not actually having you look any of these up yet, but because we'll get to him eventually. But this one, since we're talking John, this is when John's disciples uh, came to Jesus. Oh no, here it is. After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he remained with them and baptized. Now John also was baptizing. (laughs) So they're both baptizing at the same time. Uh, In the Anon near Salim, because there was much water there. Makes it easier. And they came and were baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. This is not a reading we usually hear in church. Then there also arose a dispute between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. Here we go. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you beyond the Jordan, to whom you have testified, behold, he's baptizing and all are coming to him. Now, John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. Right? I'm rejoicing because the bridegroom has come. And I was just the friend of the bridegroom. (laughs) He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all, and he who is of the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. And what he had said and heard, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony. He who has received his testimony has certified that God is true. Wow, it just keeps going. Yeah, so this is, and then they keep, there's more about this with the woman in the well in verse 4. So you see how John, uh, John has no problem saying that my position here, it's this, I, John's point in the story, as I wrote here, the last sentence there, his place in the story is not personal, but vocational to testify. John is very clear that he's not this like power player. He's not this. He, I mean, he is a big deal, but but he's only a big deal because he's come. He's been sent by God with this task, and that task was given to him by the angel before he was even born. It was testified by the angel. 
right? Think about the, the Benedictus. That's the song that Zechariah sings, right? After the birth of John. What's he saying? Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Or of Abraham, right? Because he had, here's a hymnal. I have to get from the hymnal, because otherwise I get the words wrong. Which one do we want to do? Do we want to do evening prayer, or do we want to do vespers? Is it? No, it's not either of those. Matins or vespers? I'm getting the wrong one. Morning prayer? I want to do morning prayer? All right. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. He has come. This is Luke 1. He has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up for us a mighty Savior, born of the house of his servant David. Through his holy prophets, he promised of old that he would save us from our enemies, from the hands of all who hate us. He promised to show mercy to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. This was the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to set us free from the hands of our enemies, free to worship him without fear, holy and righteous in his sight all the days of our life. Right? So that's the introduction to the song. But then, so it's all about God and Christ and what he has promised to do for us and gives to us in Christ. Then he refers to his own son. You, my child, shall be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give his knowledge, his people knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, which is really amazing. But that's okay. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, right? Which John himself bears witness. In the tender compassion of our God, the dawn from on high shall break upon us to shine on those who dwell in darkness and in the shadow of death and to guide our feet into the way of peace. And there's also that language of the light, right? And who is the light? Yeah, yeah. The one whom John goes before to prepare his way to give knowledge of, right? And then he's the one who shines. And notice the shining is specifically, according to St. Luke, the dawn that breaks upon on high shall dwell. Those who dwell in darkness, that is the shadow of death, right? That is to dwell in. Actually, darkness would be sin, and shadow of death is a consequence of sin. And that they guide us in the way of peace. Good. All right, so that's John. Nice, right? Now, is that an interlude? I said no, it's actually a contrast. So you've got, again, the eternal, the eternal logos, and then how that word is the word that made all things and that brought all things into being. Then there was this guy who was sent from God but wasn't God, who was sent to bear witness about the light, but who wasn't light. Um, but only came to testify of that eternal word that made all things. All right? You see, so I know it seems like, oh, like we're making a transition uh, or that we're moving away. But then we're going to move, move away, John, back into light and back into the world and, and then to Christ himself again. Or Christ in the flesh, I should say, very specifically. Following so far? All right. 9 through 11, just raise your hand or interrupt me if you need to. <laughs> um, oh, that was the true light, right? That was um, the true light that, that gives light gives light to all men or every man. No, it's actually, yeah, it's every man. Um, has coming into the world, all right? So do man, does man come into the world? No. What comes into the world? The light comes into the world, right? Which is leading us towards verse 14, right? Which is the word became flesh. But yes, the light um, comes to the men who are already, man, every man who is already in the world. By the way, man, we mean mankind, humankind. I always do this because 
especially with the catechism kids here. I'm like public school. They're all in public school now at this point. Um, they, you know, they're told that we have to make this distinction. Um, but my sixth grade teacher hammered it into me, female, by the way, that, that there's nothing wrong with saying man when you don't know or when you're speaking generally, right? So you can refer to like a child as, uh, in utero as him, even though it may be a her, because that included in him is her. Of course, that's just the biblical witness anyway, not just grammar, right? Because woman was taken from the man. It doesn't mean that woman's inferior, but it's just this ordering of things. Anyway, um, the light, what are we talking about? The light gives light to every man is coming into the world. The light is the thing coming into the world, all right? Uh, I know, this is so small, and then I lose my spot. All right, 10, right? Uh, he, there again, we have that personal program. Well, it's actually the verb is, is third person's um, singular. So he was in the world and the world um, was made through him, right? There's that made word again, like we had back in verse three. Uh, the world was made through him and the world, uh, but the world did not know him or in the world did not know him. And to know is to, in the Bible, knowledge is, is not just like things on a shelf or it's not Wikipedia, <laughs> What is knowledge or to know? How would you describe it? To know is to accept. Yeah, it's accept. To work together with something. To work together with something. Understand. To understand. Yeah. But like Adam knew his wife Eve and they conceived and, and she conceived. Right? So it's actually, it, it's, a, it's a very intimate term. Right? It means that they not only comprehend, accept, work together, um, but that they're joined together, that they, that they are, like, the two become one flesh, that there's this um, harmony, this synergy, this collaboration. Well, the world uh, and the light don't have that. <laughs> there's, no, there's no intimacy, there's no collaboration, there's no cooperation. They're actually at odds with one another, um, Christ and the world. My kingdom is not of this world, right? As he says in his passion. The world did not know him. Right? He, now this is interesting, because again, remember Jewish context, he came to his own, and who's his own? Those are, those are the Jews, right? And his own did not receive him, and to receive, receiving is another faith word, or trust word. To receive is to believe. So they did not receive him um, well, and they also didn't receive him kind of in a, just a generic earthly sense too, right? Oh, how does they say, how do they save Jesus? Uh, isn't this jo- the carpenter's son, right? Or, which is kind of a, I mean, I think the rumors were pretty strong, you know? They had, they had a pretty significant gossip tree in there. <laughs> what do we call them? Oh, we call them phone trees, sorry. Um, you know, gossip line or whatever to... That's, that's the old way, right? When everybody picked up on the phone and they were all on the same phone line so they could chat with each other. Uh, it was pretty strong. They, you know what I'm talking about. I know that's old. Like, how does he know about that? How does he know about that? Yeah, they do. They have, text, they have group text. It's an open channel. Everybody's in it and they just, yeah. Oh, they know how it works. Um, no, there, there, was, there was plenty of like, uh, that whole thing with like, the timeline doesn't quite work out. Jesus' birth and the, and the marriage and 
And something's not right there. So isn't this the carpenter's son? Nudge, nudge, wink, wink. It's not necessarily. And um, oh, what's another way they say it? Aren't you from Nazareth? They say you're a Galilean. I mean, there's all these expressions about him being an outsider of, of questionable, questionable birth, lineage, and, um, you know, is he really one of them? And uh, that's kind of that priority that the tribes of Judah and Benjamin have. <laughs> the only tribes that really remained, well, not really unspoiled, but somewhat intact, having come back from exile, right? But the, the other tribes are, and those are the ones that would be up in Galilee, you know, in Capernaum and Nazareth and wherever, Bethlehem even a little bit, but not so much. North, Bethlehem South, North, Capernaum, Galilee. Um, they're mixed people. Not just mixed faith, but, you know, mixed marriages and all sorts of reasons why we might question that you're actually one of us. And that us versus them kind of thing is natural to us, I suppose. All right, so what were we talking about? Light. Oh, he came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Uh, let's go back and talk about light. I mean, what does it mean that he's the light? Is the light sent uh, for moral or intellectual improvement, right? So is the light sent to give knowledge of how to be a better person um, or how to, to know more things about, oh, I don't know, creation or the relationship of, of, of this and that, you know? That's a, that's a Greek idea when it comes to logos and when it comes to light. All right, so I think a lot of people have read this gospel in particular, not in a Jewish context, but in a Greek context, and then try to import all sorts of philosophical ideas to it. Not just with who is the word, the logos, but also now with light. And that light is referring to this kind of, um, well, we actually call it the age of enlightenment. You, you know, that's the, what centuries? 1718, 1618, somewhere in there, right? Yeah, so it's when, it's when um, the, the, the humanities come into flourishing, right? Kind of the reclaiming of, of all of the, of the Greeks, Greek arts and sciences and music and, and literature. And, and uh, mankind finally, it, well, it, it actually ends up with Nietzsche saying, God is dead because we finally killed him. You know, we're superior in every way. We have no need for that anymore, for that, for God. All right. So uh, that's not what we're looking at here. That's not that kind of light. Um, that's the problem with just enlightenment, like in an Oprah sense, <laughs> uh, helping you be more spiritual or, uh, or uh, virtuous people, um, is that it actually, hmm, one, it denies that you are darkness, and two, or that you are full of darkness, uh, and two, it suggests that maybe there's some way out of this whole relationship with, with God, this necessity of a relationship with God. So he gives you, uh, it would be this, it would be like this. He gives you light and it's a substance. And, and then, you, then you get to hold on to it. And now you're, now you're enlightened, right? You have this knowledge and so now you're, you're no need of the one who gives light anymore. Uh, whereas John's gospel is like, no, this is, you are darkness. You live in darkness. You're of this world. Um, and that means you always need light in order to remain in the light. Does that make sense? But light not as in the sense of like a, Acquisition, but, but that which is always outside of you, shining upon you. And it is yours. I mean, you can claim it because he is your, he's your Lord. <laughs> he's your light. Um, uh, and also then the light is said to dwell within you. But it's still his light and it's him shining within you. If that makes sense. So rather the light uh, is sent that we would see our spiritual condition. So we talked about this in the preaching during Epiphany, right? I mean, what is... What light is God shining upon 
the world or your condition or or even who he was actually in that case, right? We were, we were seeing like through the wedding at Cana or through the transfiguration who Jesus is. And we see who he is in order that we would know what he has come to do for us, what he has done for us. Here the light, I would say, is that we see our sp- the spiritual condition in particular, which will, is because of also what he means by cosmos or by world. Consider Psalm 19.8, which I just quote for you so you don't have to look it up. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. And if you keep reading Psalm 19, anybody know Psalm 19 by heart? I found out this week, I'm thinking about reinstituting this. Beware, children. Oh, you've already made, uh, only one more in catechism here. Uh, that, I, I, I got to figure out which it was. Uh, yes, Pastor, I think it was Lewis, made the catechumens, I'm doing the math, yeah, it would have been Pastor Lewis. Uh, they had to learn, not only had to learn the catechism and all the questions, they also had to memorize six psalms completely in, the, not only the catechism, but also the psalms in both German and English. Yes, of course. Why not? I'm like, you still know the psalm in English? No. But no, in, uh, in German, but no, know no it in English. So I'm memorizing some psalms. I think I should add that to the list of things to do. Pastor Lutz had been a missionary in India uh, before he uh, was a pastor here. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because that would have been uh, our, our mission to India. I mean, that was really new. It had, uh, what was it? Like, it was after the well, war. He was here and he came in it says 57, 61. Yeah. Uh, oh, no, excuse me. The Indian mission was back in the middle, or right at the beginning of the Senate, so like 1870s, 1880s. And then it saw its heyday in the 50s. And then we abandoned it, actually, and, and only recently have had to go back and try to help them restore the work that they were doing because um, they were left to their own. And, and it just didn't go well. Enlightenment is closely related, and it is here in this text. Um, light and faith are put together to believe, right? Do you see that? Where's the two? Where's the two with light and how does light and faith go together? What verse is that? Oh yes, verse 7, right? This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe, right? So you see how light and faith go together or trust. Uh, this especially comes up with Jesus. Look at John twelve forty six. there in the notes. I have come as a light into the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. See how that is? So he's the light, and if you abide in him, then you are not in darkness. A great place where you see this contrast, not in John, but as you sing it in the hymn, Abide with me, for fast falls the eventide. It's referring to the disciples at Emmaus, right? And it's, you know, the night is ending, um, but the light is still with them. You know, dwell, you know, stay with us before the light ends. Well, the light doesn't end as long as you're with Jesus, right? Because he is your light. So, um, you know, in the dark tea time of the soul, as Douglas Adams called it, where, where are you to run or to flee but to the one who gives light? Douglas Adams was not a Christian, by the way, but yeah, the dark tea time of the soul. Hmm, let's see. All right, and then we got to talk about Cosmos. Uh, my, my translation, it says world. Does anybody have anything other than, than world coming into the world in verse 10? He was in the world. The world was made through him. Everybody says, everybody says world there? All right. 
Yeah, it can mean creation. Good job, Elsie. It can also mean universe, you know, all things that were made. So the stars and planets and, the, you know, everything, cosmos. Um, and that's, again, a very Greek idea, also referring to, like, the created order. So the cosmos is the way that everything has been ordered. Remember we talked about, did we talk, we talked about how there's repetition and patterns throughout creation that the Greeks found? Talked about Fibonacci sequence and the spiral. Was that here? Yeah. Yeah. But like the conch shell and the, and the fern and, and how they used that then in their architecture and all that. Right. So that was their idea of cosmos. But that's not really what John's getting at here. Again, he's writing to a Jewish context. He's using Greek terms, but um, he's writing to a Jewish context. He's, and he's not just simply speaking of, well, the world as in the light came into the world in a very specific time and place. It's, it, we're, we're talking about history. But here, and I, get, I gave you plenty of examples, he's, or some anyway, he's speaking of the world of men, that, uh, that which is in darkness and apart from God. And as we see in verse 10, as did not acknowledge him or receive him. All right, so darkness, so the light is in contrast to the world, and specifically the world of sin, and the world of, of that darkness that sin brings, and then the shadow of death, which is, which is the consequence of, of that darkness. Does that follow? Yeah. So sometimes, I mean, he does, he, he does redeem the world. You hear that language? We use that world, that language. It means, and, and we do mean by that, he comes to redeem all people, right? All men. But from their sin, that's specifically what we're talking about. And this is where Luther picks up, you know, those three enemies, right? The world, our, our flesh, the world, and, and the devil, right? But notice what he does with world, and he's picking it up from John here. His world is given a, a person. It's, it's, it's actually an en- like a personified enemy. That's, that's the language in uh, literature, right? Personification. Uh, I gotta think. Do you have an example, John? That comes to mind. Sorry to put you on the spot. The care, you know, some idea or an, something that becomes. I'm thinking of Fifth Element, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah. I know it's sci-fi, and you probably don't know, but the, that there's just this evil. It has no name. It's just, and it just grows. And it, but it's it's given this person, right, an agency, and all that kind of idea. Yeah. So evil sometimes is like that. There's this like nameless evil um, that's never named. But, but has this kind of, you know, like I said, agency, uh, work, words even, but actually isn't a person, so to speak. I really think about that. I don't know. We do the, actually, we do this with, with storms, don't we? That would be an example. I mean, we give them names. We name the storm as if it has somehow, like, its own identity, <laughs> right? Like Hurricane Katrina or something, right? Like... I guess it just makes it easy to remember which hurricane we're talking about. But, but it's not like it's like this beast. Well, the Bible actually talks about storms that way. You've probably heard, heard that in a sermon here recently about a seismos, you know, this beast. is the name for the, the beast well, we, of the sea. Well, we dig like the only thing that I can think of. Oh, where the whale takes on. Yeah, but it's also a personification of man's crazy obsession. Right, it's bigger than life, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, that's nice. That's good. Well, you'll have to think about some more about that. Get back to me next week. You'll have a whole list. <laughs> I'd have to put you on the spot again. Yeah. Uh, this is true throughout the New Testament. So it's not just John. 
where the cosmos refers not only to the earthly, but, but that which is at enmity with God. And my R key, I routinely get like 15 in a row. So sometimes I don't always catch it when it doubles up. But that's 1 Corinthians 1, 21. We, should, we could probably look at these. Yeah, we got time. 1 Corinthians 1, 21. I can get there really quick because I just type it. And my Bible software just pops it up for me. But I don't, I don't know if I've ever shown you this, but... So, so I've got the English, then I have the Greek, or Hebrew, as the case may be, or the Greek Old Testament. And then, I, then I can, when I search on a word, it can give me the different uh, etymologies and whatnot. It's over here. Oh, plus, it gets parsed down here, so it tells you what part of speech it is. It's pretty handy, because... Oh, I don't always think that quick on my feet. 121. For since in the wisdom of God... The world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. You see that? The world through wisdom did not know God. So the world has this, is this antagonistic thing or being antagonistic to God and refused to hear him. Right. But that also then um, communicates what? The correspondence that, that all have fallen short of the glory of God, that all refuse to believe by nature, being children of this world, or children of the devil by birth, actually. That's how Jesus says it. As uncomfortable as that is to say, <laughs> or to hear. 2.12, so that's right in the same book, right? Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. In other words, you cannot know of, of, of the, the deep things of God from the world. I, did we, I don't know what context I talk about what. We talked about how you know, people try to find God in nature. Did we talk about that here? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that God is, is what Luther would call the, uh, not the revealed God, but the hidden God. Um, and it's a God that's not always just. You know, seems to be kind of irrational and uh, capricious is the word, just does what he wants to, whatever he feels like. Sometimes you're you're fed and sometimes you're starving and you know sometimes the sun shines and other times it storms and you know it just you, what can you learn of God well the majesty and the glory of God that majesty and glory is the same thing that will you know you climb in the mountain and then the rocks fall on you and you die right or or a sudden storm comes upon you on the sea and it overwhelms you and you drown right so well that's Jesus on the in the boat on the, in the storm right I mean who are they supposed to trust in the boat and trust in you know the good weather. No, they're supposed to trust in Him, who has power over sea and waves and storm. Anyway, uh, let's see. So that was one twenty-one. Galatians six, which is a remember I told you about Galatians being big, and we'll talk more about this next week. But uh, Galatians, a lot of baptism language in Galatians. Uh, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. I mean, how is the world crucified to you? If, if something's crucified, what is it? Yeah, yeah, it's dead. Meaning that this world of sin and of darkness is dead to Paul in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. That he overcomes the world. He overcomes sin and death is another way of saying that. Is this making sense? You get, starting to get it? Okay, good. Uh, James 4.4. 4. Somebody there? You there, Ethan? Read it. 
Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Hmm. <laughs> be in the world but not of the world is another way to say that, right? But, but by world here, again, we're talking about that which is opposed to God. And I know we like to think of the whole created order and everything around us as being, what? Neutral. <laughs> right? You know? Um, you can look, but don't touch or something like that. And you're like, that's not how this is going to work. Even looking is, is actually still putting yourself in enmity with God, for example. Oh, just a little bit. You know, I'll just have a one drink. You know? Uh, no, actually, it... it all creation has been turned against God by Adam's sin, including the ground, as we know, thorns and thistles, but uh, male against female, man, man, or excuse me, husband against wife, children against parents, um, and actually all man against God from that one sin, from that act of rebellion. Hmm. Wow. Uh, what's 2 Peter 2? Did I get there? 2.20. Which is, again, a baptism book, by the way, Second Peter. For if, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world, through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the latter end is worse for them, for them than the beginning. It have been better for them to not have known the way of righteousness than having known it, to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. So if you've been delivered from the world and then you go back into the world, um, it's just like the you know, demons cast out and then you say, I'm not going to stay with Jesus, but I'm going to leave the house empty, then more demons come and it's worse than the first. Yeah, like uh, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and this how after washing yourself, it turns to wallow in the mire. Yeah, you wash the pig and they go right back into the mud, um, which is horrible, right? And when it comes to, this is, I mean, the elder, any of you served as elders or have had any kind of contact with uh, lapsed members, as we call them inactive, I don't even know that, lapsed, I just don't want to say lapsed Christian. Um, they're actually in a worse place than they were before they were even Christians. Because they've rejected, now they've rejected the light that has come. By rejecting to receive um, the word that has come for them. All right, and, and there's going to be degrees, right? Not everybody has rejected outright. They may be rejecting um, this congregation or, or me as their pastor. But not necessarily all faith or Jesus himself. All right? But there's still a conflict there. They're kind of caught now between, yes, I trust in Jesus, but I don't believe everything that Jesus said to me. Like, remember the Sabbath day by keeping holy, hearing God's word regularly and faithfully, that kind of thing. Does that follow? So to get entangled back into the world once you've been brought out of the world is, um, it's, I, well, at least in the counsel of the, the older pastors that I've talked to, um, that's, that's a nut that nobody's been able to crack, is, is how to reach those who have re-entangled themselves in the world, as Peter called it. Um, it's case by case, and I've, I've had some success, but not in a programmatic way, just in a like, wow, that was a miracle kind of way. <laughs> How did that happen? I'm not even sure. You know, where did those words come from? Um, look at this quote from Hermann Zasse, who was the, um, he was a student of Wilhelm Lea, who I've told you about Lea in Germany. Zasse was a German, then left Germany um, during the Nazi regime and was in Australia. And uh, a really prominent theologian for us, friend of the Missouri Synod. When John says of the cosmos, 
that it does not know the Son of God, that it does not know God, that it does not believe, that it hates. The cosmos is, in some sense, personified as the greater opponent of the Redeemer in salvation history. And in John's gospel, the world is, is more prominent than the devil in this way. The world is, the devil is like the world's um, henchman, in a sense. Um, but actually, the world can overcome you. It has a lead, and, and then works in collaboration with, with sin. Um, yeah, I don't know. Is that a little scary, maybe? <laughs> We're, you're now entering the mission field. It shouldn't really be scary because you have the light. And light, does, and light light banishes darkness. So even though you go into the world that's full of darkness, you are the light and because you have Christ. And he is your light. All right. And then 12 to 13. I just want to get through that because 14, <laughs> verse 14, we're going to spend a little time on. If, if that's okay, because I think verse 14 is very important. Um, but it is the culmination of everything we've been talking about. Oh, I lost my page here. Or <laughs> marker. But as many as received him. Oh, this is really important. But as many as received him, to them he gave. Oh, what's your say? The right to become children of God? Yeah. Does everybody, everybody have that? But as many as received him. He gave the right to become children of God. Okay. Uh, to those who believe in his. There's the name. Remember, his name is John, and now whose name are we supposed to believe in? Not John, but his name, right. Who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. We won't get into all of this today, but um, this theme, the reason why John the Baptist is here is because for the first, what did I tell you, the first almost four chapters, baptism is the theme of the book. The beginning of the life of faith this beginning of the ministry of Christ is baptism. They, they correspond to one another. We see baptism, even in the wedding of Canaan, you have a purification. Water pots used for purification, right? Baptism is in the background. Of course, John chapter 3, big time baptism. But John, the Baptist, is connected to Nicodemus and Jesus' teaching on baptism in chapter 3. Right? Being born again or born of, of, from above. And it, uh, John keeps going then too. We have John 1, John 3, John 5, John 10. John is, is this primary figure because it's lesser to greater. It's, but everything that John testifies to, Christ fulfills. Behold the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one on whom the Spirit descends. The Spirit descends upon you in baptism. And then there's this weird correspondence uh, of John to Ezekiel, which I hadn't seen until it was pointed out to me. But, but all the themes of Ezekiel, John, the gospel, and John's gospel, he picks up on. Now, Ezekiel, in, Re- in connection to Revelation, it's like, they're like hand in glove. You can see in John's Revelation, he's taking the themes from Ezekiel and showing them fulfilled in Christ. And it, but it's all this metaphorical picture language. But here, it's very, very concrete. Jesus has his new Israel through the waters of the Spirit. So Ezekiel 36, for example, but also Isaiah 44, Joel 2, and Zechariah 12. They have new hearts. You know, he gives them a heart of flesh, not a heart of stone. Ezekiel 36 as well, um, but also Ezekiel 11. They are his new creation, Ezekiel 36 as well, but also chapters 47 to 48. And they are his new Adam, chapter 37 of Ezekiel. So 
Uh, again, if, if John the Evangelist is writing to Jews, then and what, he is, what he's trying to do for them is show that in Jesus, they, all who have been joined to Jesus are now Israel. Not by... Right. Not by birth, or excuse me, not by, blo- not by blood, meaning birthright, you know, sons of Abraham, all right? And not by the will of the flesh, so not by a choice that they choose to become part of Israel, like, I want to immigrate into the Israel, <laughs> right? Because, no, you're adopted as sons, you're actually drawn out, you're taken out of bondage, right? Or, if you like, an orphanage, <laughs> right? And, and you, we're, we're talking about, oh, somebody else this week, we're talking about adoption and adopting people. On children, and, and they're in cap- They're literally in captivity, or something. They've just been in the crib for you know for four years or three years. My cousin was that way. Cousins, I should say, that were adopted. Um, so they're drawn out, not not by the will of the flesh, but actually by the will of God, right? And not by the will of other people either, which is also important. I mean, you can't make somebody a Christian any more than John could. Say, I mean, all he could say is, "Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world." You know? and he points to him, but ultimately, faith or trust in Jesus comes by Jesus actually testifying to who he was and who he said. This is my newsletter article for this week, by the way, so you can read it um, if it got printed. I think it got printed, and then um, should have, and also. Uh, so the word working through the spirit, but the word meaning specifically Jesus who testifies to who he is and what he's done, that that is what brings people to be the new Israel, to have the new birth, to have the, have new hearts, to be light, to be new creations, to be um, restored to Adam. It's all, it's all God's work, the will of God. You see that? So, so I don't think, to summarize what we've talked about today, I don't think that 6 through 12 is like this interlude that, that we were, should have gone from the word that was made and that was and then that made all things then right to being made flesh. But, but we needed to show that there was no capacity, not even in this really prominent figure like John the Baptist, to be, to be light, to be word, to be creative. Um, all he could do, all any of us could do, all that the Old Testament could do, or Jacob or Abraham or any of these, was to, or Moses, is to point to the one who is to come and who has actually come, but just not in the flesh, right? Because he was there from the beginning and he's been active in the whole thing from the beginning. So our summary statement here at the end of the lesson, one page is a lot better than two. I still didn't give you much time to talk. So maybe I have to even hash this down a little bit more. Uh, John is depicted as the first Christian confessor. Memory points to the Christ. John serves the same witness as the gospel, whose purpose is that those who read or hear what is written in this book might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one by the Spirit, um, the Son of God, which is why John's in this interview right here. And again, if you look, you can go look this up right at the beginning of that block of text. John 1, John 3, John 5, John 10. John the Baptist is through John's gospel. Sorry, so many Johns, John. (laughs) John, 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 John today. Hopefully you kept them all straight. So we'll talk about the word being flesh next week, which is really um, significant and prominent throughout the whole gospel. And it's really the culmination of everything we've talked about. All right. Heart and peace. See you in church.